Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kantori. Hello everybody, I have Tiffany Patlan with me today. She's a best-selling author of Unlocking Your Ability to Heal. It is a teaching mother that she shares her story of hardship, healing and transformation. She is also an inspirational speaker, personal transformation guide, entrepreneur, health advocate, podcaster, wife and homeschooling mother of three boys. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And yes, please go ahead and talk about yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to share my story to provide in inspiration to people all over the world. Um, my story begins as far back as I can remember. Um, in writing my story, I thought my incidences and everything, my trauma started a lot later but when I wrote my book, that's when I realized it started as far back as I can possibly remember. And that's because I learned that I was being raised in a very toxic environment. Um, I truly believe that my mother suffers from men mental illness. And I believe that because I learned that about myself. So in looking back, I can recognize all those traits in my mother. Um, I was also really bullied by, my mother would play a part in that. I was bullied by my brother. Um, and I believe that that was due to his own issues of not knowing his biological father and being told of that when he was way too young. He didn't know how to, you know, decipher or comprehend any of that stuff. So I got the, you know, the brunt of that because I was closest to him. And <clears throat> my dad was very strict. He comes from the army. So he worked a lot. So um, he wasn't really around. And when he was, um, it wasn't like, oh, hello, honey, how's your day from school? It wasn't like that. It was just, he worked and he is a great provider, went to work, showed us, you know, that responsibility and respect was of high regard. Uh, so my, I did learn a lot of good things from my father, but he just wasn't there when, you know, as much as I would say that I needed him. Um, and my life was pretty much just me uh, being a straight A student, having friends and everything seemed to be okay. Um, come 1991, that's when my um, second uh, brother was born. Um, and I started noticing, I started having a strained relationship with my mom. I was always starving for her attention, um, but I loved my little brother, so I think I was always paying attention to him, and so I don't think I was really focusing too much on my relationship with my mom. Come 1993, um, that's when I was 11 years old, and that's when my other uh, baby brother was born. Um, I was still having fights with my mom. I was struggling to find my identity. That's also the time that the first time that I experienced um, self-mutilation. Um, I, my mother and I were arguing and I don't remember why. I just remember being barefoot, not presentable to go outside and she kicked me outside and we lived in an apartment complex and there is a wall um, where the parking lot was. So I hopped it to go hang out in the deserted area back there because I didn't want to be seen. And um, being in Vegas, it was really sunny. And I remember seeing uh, broken beer bottles all over and I do not know what compelled me to pick up a piece of glass and carve in my arm. I hate mom, but I did. And um, I had never heard of self-mutilation before. I didn't even know it was a thing. I think that I was just suffering so much. I had so much suppressed and built up emotions that I had to get it out somehow. And that was how I chose to do it. Um, in fifth grade, so I have to back up a little bit. In fifth grade, I, I did start getting bullied in school. I was supposed to wear glasses. My eyesight got really bad, but I knew um, everybody was made fun of, so I didn't want to wear them. Um, and then come sixth grade, when I started, when I was 11, um, those same girls followed me to that same school, and um, I, the bullying increased. And um, so that was just adding on top of everything else that I was already suffering from. And then in 1994, when I started seventh grade, that's when I started fighting back because I was just so tired of being mistreated at home um, and not being protected and being mistreated at school. It's like everywhere, everywhere I went, I was messed with. I was uh, picked on. I was made fun of. I was ridiculed. You know, and how is a girl to develop self-confidence or self-esteem when that's what she's around all the time? So I started fighting back and that's when I noticed the bullying stopped. So I was able to finish seventh grade with little to no problems. 
Um, but then comes summer of 1995, my mother decided to send my brother and I to Texas to go visit family. Um, I, I had turned 12 by now and um, we went to go live with, uh, we went to go visit my aunt. And that's when I was incestuously raped by my 23 year old cousin. And I remember that was really uncomfortable. I remember afterwards sitting in the bathroom floor, holding myself, like cleaning myself and like just in shock, like just not, I don't know how to explain it, just in shock. They call it tonic immobility. It's what when people are raped, they, they can either, you know, they become aggressive and fight back or they become, you know, immobilized. They become, um, it's like the same thing as a possum playing dead. They just become paralyzed. And that was my go-to tactic. I just became paralyzed. And while he did whatever he did. And um, I remember the next morning he, he was already gone. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I asked to go to my, cause my mother and father's side of the family both lived in Texas. So I asked to go visit the other side of my family. And there at my grandparents' house, um, that's also when my uncle, who I never, ever had any reason to fear him whatsoever, uh, I assumed that he was drunk and probably on drugs. And um, I was sitting on the couch watching TV with my other little girl cousin, and she left for a moment. He decides to come and lean over the couch. And simultaneously, as he's reaching for my breast to fondle me and go towards my neck, I felt my body stiffen. And I think he did too, because then he gets up and he look, he's like, what, you don't want me to? And I remember thinking, are you for real? Like, of course I don't want you to like, you, you, what, what, you know? And so I had two family members that have become sexual with me and I didn't understand what the heck is going on. And looking back, I realized, okay, my body was maturing and I was becoming a young woman, but that did not give the, them the right to lay their hands on me. Um, that morning, the next morning, I remember I was playing with my little baby cousin on my lap and um, my uncle walked in and it shook me to my core because he looked at me and he said, what's the matter? It looks like you've seen a ghost. And that's when I realized the look I must have had on my face when he walked in must have been a fear. Hmm. And that's when I was like, I have to say something. I have to tell somebody I have to do something. So I attempted to go tell my grandfather. And he, he was visibly angry and he brought me into my grandmother's room and asked me to repeat it. And I was like, you know how much courage it took to do it the first time and now I have to do it again. And then they brought my uncle into the room and asked me to repeat it again. And so as you can imagine, my story just got more watered down as I told it. So yeah. by the time I told it to him, I was like, yeah, you were just touching me and stuff. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he leaned over and, you know, and that was that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> And I remember like being angry. I was angry because I thought what was happening to me was wrong. So, you know, why wasn't anything happening? And, and actually I, I missed out a part. Um, after it immediately happened, I remember telling my cousin when she came back from the bathroom and she said, maybe we should go tell my mom. And I went to go tell my aunt who lived there and she got mad at me. She's like, well, you guys need to be, that's why you guys shouldn't, should be in bed or you shouldn't be staying up late or something to that effect. And I remember being shocked by her response because I thought what was happening to me was wrong. So there was that response from a family member and I left it at that. I went to bed, I did what I was told. And then that's when the next morning, you know, I saw my uncle, told my grandfather. And then with just that silly apology, it was just like, it did nothing to ease my concerns. So I, I think I just thought, what's the point of telling that anybody what my cousin did, which was I think far worse than what my uncle did. <clears throat> So I ended up going back to Las Vegas soon afterwards, and I never told my mom. She found out one time when we were sitting down talking, and she was always trying to communicate with us, but it, it just never worked out. I don't know if it was her style. I don't know how she spoke to us. If it wasn't, she didn't let us have a voice. I'm not sure what it was, but the communication just was never good. And um so when she asked me, she was talking to me, telling me, oh, I want you to come to me when it's your first time and all this stuff. And I remember just screaming at her in her face. And I was like, it's too late for that. And she just looked at me shocked. And she was just like, what? And she's like, who? And I told her and she just hugged me and started saying that she was sorry and, and crying. And I'm just like, I thought it was odd because my mother and I didn't weren't that affectionate with each other. And she was responding differently than my aunt did. 
So I was really confused. Like this whole thing was just confusing. Um, but to my knowledge, nothing was ever done. My mother says that she called the cops, but my aunt hid her son because she, you know, she's trying to protect her kid. I, that's what I was told. I don't know anything. I just don't know. I just don't know what happened. I was too young to do anything. I didn't understand. So I just kept going through life, carrying that baggage. How old were you then? Um, when my cousin did this, I was 12 going on 13. And, um, and then I came back, um, for my eighth grade year. And, um, so I'm in eighth grade with all this new baggage and all this stuff is going on. And it was just a really rough year. My mom and I were just constantly fighting. And my mom and dad were fighting because they were on the brink of divorce. And I didn't know this at the time, but they were, my mom was still kicking me out of the house from time to time to the point that I got uh, used to wearing my uh, bikini as bra and underwear um, under baggy jeans and a shirt because I, I never knew when I was going to get kicked out. And I'm thankful I did because I ended up having to spend the night in the jacuzzi where I laid with my head out like this because it was cold outside and I needed to stay warm. So that's, I had to do that. The next morning, there's a guy, um, on one of the chairs and he, I don't know if he acknowledged I was there and sat there till I woke up, probably thinking, why is there a girl spending the night in the jacuzzi? And I was little, you know, I was young. I was only 13 years old. <laughs> um, and he and I ended up befriending each other. I went to the store, stole a brush. You know, I could have, I could have gone to jail for stealing, you know, it's wrong, but you know, I didn't have anything. I was just surviving, stole a toothbrush and toothpaste. I would brush my teeth with the sprinkler heads. You know, I didn't, I wouldn't have clean clothes to go to school to catch the bus. So I would just hang around the neighborhood. Um, I found solace in certain people that we knew um, the neighborhood. Um, so I was exposed to drugs and um, by that young age, uh, drinking, um, smoking cigarettes. Um, I also had ended up having a sexual relationship with my boyfriend at that time in eighth grade. Um, I ended up getting into a lot of fights. That's when that's when I really believe I became the bully because I would, any reason, like if a girl looked at my boyfriend wrong, if um, I found out somebody was sending my boyfriend a note, I would just use as, as an excuse to go confront them and like just lash out. And I feel so bad because I, I hurt a lot of girls. I made them bleed. I gave them concussions and it breaks my heart to know that I did that. I'm not proud of that. And I apologize to all those women, you know, every opportunity I get because they did not deserve to be hurt and experience the pain from other people that had hurt me. But I didn't know that. I, I did not know that back then. I just, I just had that mentality of developing like this suit of armor, I guess you could say. And I was just full of anger and I just lashed out at every opportunity. And I guess my parents didn't know what to do with me. Um, cause I ended up getting, um, kicked out before the first nine weeks ended in, um, ninth grade. Um, because things were just out of control. So my parents sent me to go live with a cousin that lived there in uh, Las Vegas. And that cousin incestuously raped me. It is the same person that did before. A new one. And, um, he would do it because I was living there with them temporarily and he would just, I mean, it's, it's, if I would go to the refrigerator, he would take that as an opportunity to go behind me and pull my pants down and do it again. Like he would just have his way with me. And I think the reason why he felt it was okay is because I never said anything, but I never said anything because nobody ever did anything. And it was just confusing. Like I just, and it got to the point where I really started hating myself. I hated everything about me. I hated the way that I looked because I truly believed that because of the way that I looked, it caused men to think that it was okay to, you know, sexually abuse me, to lay their hands on me, to do whatever the hell they wanted to do to me and not be reprimanded for it because they never were. Nothing ever happened. But granted, I also didn't say anything. And so while I was living there, all this is going on. I befriended um, the next door neighbor that had lived there and um, they had a, a buddy that was there who did smoked meth a lot. So I got into that 
he would have pills like um, roofies, you know, the ones that they put in women's drinks. He had those and he would give me those. He would um, just drinking. Like I never developed the power of my voice. So I never said no when somebody gave me a cigarette or a drink or a pill or anything. I just did it because I just, I don't know. It's, it's almost like I was like just floating through the wind. I was just like a blob. I didn't have a brain. I didn't have a voice. I didn't have didn't know who I was. I wasn't worthy. I just, this is everything that was developing as all these things continued to happen to me. And then at one point I ended up meeting, um, I had hung around this particular person who brought me around other people that had drugs and guns and money. And I remember being in this apartment one time and seeing all this and, you know, it's just like, whoa, but you don't, I don't say anything. I just sat there like fly on the wall, you know, cut it because it was just a strange environment. And then one day as I'm at my cousin's apartment, there's a knock on the door and the gen this gentleman, this guy, his name was Pancho, he showed up and he spoke Spanish fluently, which I do not, but my cousin did. And he was there for me, which I thought was strange. He, he lied and said that um, the other guy wanted him to come pick me up. So I ignorantly went with him and he brought me to that same apartment. I recognized it, but it looked like people had moved out. It was dark. And I remember feeling uneasy, but I went inside. And then I felt even more uncomfortable because it looked like somebody had just moved out and the carpet, you know, like when you move out, the carpet's kind of dirty and all that stuff. That's what it looked like. And I remember wondering like, oh, is there a phone? Because back then it was all about pagers. I think there were phones, but they were like the big hunky ones or, you know, so pagers were all the rage. And my cousin's wife had bought me a pager. And I remember wanting a phone to call her because I, I was scared. I had this really uneasy feeling and I was scared. And um, he, you know, in his broken English pointed to the phone jack and told me that he didn't have a phone. And so that was that, you know, he brought me to the back and that's when he, you know, he raped me. And afterwards he let me go. And I remember walking down the street, you know, like consoling myself, like holding myself. And I'm afraid to look back to see if he's following me. I'm afraid to run too fast that he'll, you know, catch me and kill me. I'm afraid to, I was afraid to do anything. I was so careful with everything I did, the pace that I walked, the way that I held myself, just everything. And the craziest thing is that when I, cause it was a long linear street. So when I ended up coming down to the cul-de-sac, I saw a ton of cop cars outside and I didn't understand why, like, well, what the heck is going on? And my cousin ran up to me and um, he just, I don't remember if he asked me anything, but I just looked at him and I was crying and I just muttered the word Pancho cause he knew that that was the person that I just left with. Strangely, he was pissed off. <laughs> it, it's okay for him to do it to me, but not other people like that. That was strange, but um, he took off running uh, after him. And my, his wife, my cousin's wife explained to me that they had received a text or um, a message on their pager with a series of ones. And we had a booklet and that it came with. And it said that a series of ones meant help slash emergency. Ooh, I'm going to get emotional. Huh. So, but I, I'm not the one that did it. I didn't page them. So who do you think paged? Who do you think sent that page? And I, I... That's okay, relax. It's just, um, I'm grateful. Like, like when I think about it, it's just like, wow. Back then I thought my life was so messed up and that nobody cared about me and nobody was protecting me, but I was being protected by God, by my higher power. Who else would have sent that page and a series of ones? So, so that's like a really important part of my story. And there's another one too, that I'll get to, but I was being protected this whole time and I didn't even know it. Um, I, I also ended up having to take um, Prozac. My parents had given me Prozac to take and um, my cousin's wife told my parents that I didn't need it because it just made me sleep all the time. So I, at some point I ended up living back at my parents and the brother of that cousin was there one evening 
and he incestuously raped me in my brother's room on his bed. So that was, <laughs> it's the third time. And nobody was there. Nobody was there in the apartment. I don't remember where my parents were, where my little brothers were, where my older brother was. I don't remember. I just remember the apartment was quiet and he was there. We were there alone together and I do not remember why. And I remember he afterwards, you know, he just did what he did with me, had his way with me and went out into the balcony. I don't know, to smoke a cigarette, to have a drink. And I remember going out there and I looked at him and I asked him, do you regret what you just did to me? And he just turns around and looks at me and gives me this like disgustingly smug grin with red glassy eyes. And he just says, I never regret anything that I do. And I was like, wow, like, what do I do with that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> wow. Um, and so I just kept collecting all of these experiences, no help, no outlet, no support, no protection, just living. And my parents could not handle me. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They didn't know what to do with me. They were having issues of their own. My, and then there's my brother. My brother was in his own world, having issues of his own. They had my two little brothers. Um, I remember wanting to spend time with my mother so much that I ended up buying concert tickets and her and I, of course she said yes. So her and I went to a concert um, and my father dropped us off. And instead of him picking us up, I remember getting into a truck with my mother with two strange men and we ended up going to their house. Okay, so I don't know nothing. I'm just there and I'm just like, what is going on? Like, it, this is really weird. Uh, before we went to their house, they took us to a, a casino um, I don't remember which one it was or anything like that, but she, my mother was walking off with the one guy and this other guy, this 32 year old man was the one that was with me. And I was 14 by this time. And um, I remember him um, asking me how old I was and I told him the truth. Um, he gave me a pill, couldn't even tell you what it was. Uh, the only thing I remember after that was being at their house. And my mother was really chummy with this dude. Um, they were both laying on top of his bed fully clothed and they were just chit-chatting and I'm there in the room. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. I don't know where to go. Like I, it was really uncomfortable. So I copied my mother. I mocked her because I didn't know what else to do. So I went on the other side of that guy and laid on the bed. I laid on the bed on the other side of this guy. Like I just didn't know what to do. You know, I was following my mother's lead. She's supposed to be setting an example, right? Um, the other guy, ended up getting me out of the room um, and got me to go to his room because he had a pipe full of weed. And I recognized that. And I was like, oh, he's got weed. Oh, let me go. So I went with him. Um, and I don't remember what happened that night. I don't remember how we got home. I don't remember anything. But my mother would bring me over to his house a few more times after that because she would go visit that guy. And she would bring me with, I assume, to go visit the other dude. I mean, why else would she bring me? Like, it's strange, right? Like, it's, I don't know whatever. So it kind of seemed okay. I was like, well, my mother seems to approve of it. And then as everything just kept spiraling out of control in the home and in every way, there would be times where I was by myself. There was a time I was full of hives and I didn't know why. So um, he would come pick me up. He would take care of me. When he lit a cigarette, he lit one for me. When he made a drink, his drink of choice was Jack and Jack, um, Jack and Coke, Jack Daniels mixed with uh, Coke. And um, he would make those drinks for me. And again, I didn't develop my voice. So I never said, oh, no, thank you. I don't smoke. Oh, Nathan, no, thank you. I'm not old enough to drink. Th things that you would think that a normal kid would say, I did not say that. I just partook and I just did what I was told. And I feel like that's something that um, children need to learn because by not developing that at a young age, I literally did not question anything. I just, because my mother told me, I remember one time she would get mad at me and she would tell us, um, you don't question me. Like you just do as you're told, you know, that's all they wanted. You shut your mouth, do what you're told. And so that I honestly believe opened me up to be more vulnerable to more abuse. So he was doing this. He would get mad at me when, um, I remember one time there was a next door neighbor and she was roller skating and she asked me to go with her. So I went with her and he got mad at me because I was acting my age 
And uh, he just didn't want other people to know what he was doing. Um, and I did not know this then. I did not know that he was grooming me for sexual episodes. I didn't know that. Why are we at a pay phone and he's talking on the phone to another woman? That seems weird. Why is he taking me to another person's house where there's this woman there that he's all hugging and kissing all over? I thought he and I were in a relationship. Granted, it was forbidden, but it just, I'm confused. And, and then he leaves. And then this lady's telling me she's going to take a shower and I can join her. Okay. I never heard that before. I didn't know what to do. So I was just like, yeah, okay. And I just sat there. I did it. I didn't understand. And looking back, I can connect the dots. And I remember him having conversations about a threesome. I was the brunette. She was the redhead. Um, it, it never panned out like he wanted it to. Um, things just kept getting out of control. I don't, I was trying to find a place to live. My parents ended up getting divorced. My brother ended up finding a friend that he could live with. I was just bouncing around on the streets. My mom didn't have a steady place. She was trying to, I don't know where she was laying her head here, there, everywhere, just like I was. She ended up getting a boyfriend who wouldn't allow me to live there with her. <laughs> I don't know why she would be with somebody who wouldn't approve of her daughter living with her. <laughs> um, uh, he ended up having his way with me when she was at work. Um, and they had a roommate uh, who I think was, had just turned 21 and he was still a virgin. So him and my mom thought it would be a good idea to suggest to me to go basically let him use me so he wouldn't be a virgin anymore. Yeah, isn't that odd? Yeah, so I did. And it was the strangest thing. I just like, I was like, okay. Because it didn't seem like sex wasn't special to me because of how it was, you know, how it was presented to me all these years. Um, so to me, sex was just like, yeah, whatever. So I was like, okay, whatever. And I went and I did it. My mother shouldn't have been suggesting that. If anything, she should have been angry and mad over something like that. You know, she shouldn't be, you know, having me be like somebody asked her to do a bikini bike wash. You know, you bend over, you look how cute and sexy, you try to get like, it's, it's sexual. And my mother was like, oh no, I won't do it. But my, here's my daughter. <laughs> I remember being 16 at that time. I just, that's the way my life was then. I was struggling to go to school. Um, in ninth grade, I got kicked out before the first nine weeks ended. They sent me to um, Biltmore Opportunity School. Um, I remember they treated me like I was not intelligent. They, that was insulting because it's not that I was not intelligent that I got kicked out. It was because, you know, all this trauma I endured and I was just taking out on other people because I was overflowing and I just didn't know what to do. Um, at one point I lived with my dad very, very temporarily. Um, me and his, his wife did not get along. Um, the communication wasn't there. I never knew who this woman was, why she was here, that my parents were going through a divorce. I mean, it's traumatizing for a child to experience when their parents get divorced just alone. But you got to remember, I have all this baggage that I collected and, be and they're going through this. So it's like just one thing after another, after another, after another, just piled on top of each other. He ended up, she at one point, um, I don't know, I guess she was talking uh, down to me over me and I was trying to, I literally was going to stand up and my dad got scared thinking I was going to be violent. So I only had fight or flight tools. And so he was like basically kicking me out. So I was, I'm, I'm gone. This is crap. I don't like living in this place. I was very uncomfortable. It really didn't matter where I was. I was always going to be uncomfortable because I hadn't healed. I was carrying around so much pain. So again, just floating around house to house. Um, sometimes I would be with my mom. There was always instances of rape. There was um, one of her boyfriends had his way with me when my mom went inside the store. Um, and it was, it was strange. I don't know why this guy had the nerve to do that. You would think that he'd be afraid that my mom would walk in and catch him. But I don't know if that would have been enough for her to be mad or to stop because there was another time where that happened. And um, she, her and I were, you know, that was the norm. Her, she was always going to bars and drinking and I was always there with her. And um, 
she ended up, we ended up going home with this one gentleman and I don't know what happened. She, it was like, it was them two. And I was just kind of like the third wheel. And she ended up, I guess, going to the restroom at some point. And in that little t- short time frame, this guy is, you know, having sex with me while I'm strung out on drugs and the room is spinning. My mother walks in and instead of like beating the crap out of this guy and whisking me away, she got pissed at me, yelled at me. I remember that. And then she left me there. So like things like this would happen, really ugly things. I, I mean, there was another time we came home with um, a couple guys. One of them was young. I want to say he was like 21. And the other one was like in his late thirties. And um, you would think that the younger guy would have been with me and the other guy would have been with her, but it wasn't, it was opposite, really strange. And at this point, my mom had, was able to get a, um, a small, tiny apartment it was in what they call a, a, like a quadruplex because it's just a, a, an apartment with four buildings. And it was in the end of the cul-de-sac. And this was in Old Henderson. I'm off of Boulder Highway. So it's like a really ugly area, really ugly area. And um, that's where my we went back to that place. And I don't know why she wanted to go back to our place. We didn't have any furniture. I didn't. She had a bed and a dresser and her stuff. I didn't have anything. I just had a room. I remember I would get a box and I would rip off the tabs and I would put it standing up vertical and I would fold my clothes and put it, put them in there. It was my little makeshift dresser. Um, but I remember she brought us to, uh, she, she brought, we went all ended up showing up at this apartment and the lights were off. They were, there was music playing and she's over there with this guy and I'm over here with this guy in the same room. And this guy's having his way with me. I don't know what they're doing. And later on, I find out that that guy, the, the younger guy that was with my mom, because later on, after all of this, he and I ended up being a thing. And that was later. But he ended up telling me that he knew what we were doing because he could hear it. So I'm thinking to myself, if you could hear it, then my mom must have heard it. Why didn't she stop it? I don't know. I, I have no answers to these questions even to this day, except for the fact that my mother is just extremely mentally ill. Um, come 1998, my mother was still working at Target. She ended up finding some friends and she would abandon me there a lot. She would just show up with me there and I thought, oh, we're visiting, we're partying. Oh, I'll be back. Okay. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. She would leave and I wouldn't see her for days. Um, and the people that lived here in this apartment were um, her friend, her, her friend's boyfriend, and then another gentleman. And he was the roommate and he was married with kids. So I'm not sure why he was living there, but sometimes his wife and kids would come to the apartment and then we would all be hanging out, partying, and just drinking. And that was the thing. That's what they did. This is something that I grew up acknowledging. It seemed like that's what the adult way was you went to school then you got a job and you worked and then you drank you either went to the bar or you drank at home like drinking 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 like that's what I was taught with everything that around me plus for a good chunk of time I wasn't in school learning like all my friends were I was experiencing and observing you know how to use drugs how to drink, how to be, how to act in a, in a bar, you know, just ha- just being around all of that. I was mocking and absorbing this and this was becoming my identity. I was mocking my mother, things that were not healthy and I was just picking up all this stuff and that's how my identity started to be formed was from all of that. So that's why I grew up being extremely promiscuous. I was a drunk. Um, I ended up going, I, so back to that, that apartment, my mom would leave me there. And I remember one time um, her friend asked me, she's like, hey, so where's your mom? And I'm like, I don't know. And I remember feeling so, so weird because I was so uncomfortable because I knew my mom just left me there. I had no money to offer these people. They weren't kicking me out. They let me stay there. I would be hungry. I would be starving and I would not ask for food because I was, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel right asking for food, so I never did. And oh man, when they were gonna get food and they offered me something, oh my gosh, it was just like, yes, please, you know? And my eyesight was so bad. Um, they would make fun of me because when they would watch TV, I would sit close in front of the TV because I refused to wear glasses because I just did not want to get messed with. And my parents wouldn't buy me contacts. 
Um, that roommate ended up having his way with me. And his, when, when my, the friend and the boyfriend ended up moving out to go get a house, the roommate's um, wife and kids moved in and they were nice enough to not kick me out and let me stay there. Um, they were gonna allow me to use their closet as a little bedroom. And I didn't mind, I was grateful because <laughs> I wasn't out in the street. Uh, but then she read my diary, which talked about everything. And she got mad at me and she kicked me out. And I wish she were to have learned and realized that it wasn't me, like it wasn't my doing. You know, my mom is the one that brought me here. My mom left me here. You know, it's not my fault that this guy, you know, finds me in the apartment and has his way with me. Like, that's not my fault. Like I was still young. He should have known better. Um, but I was left to beat the streets again. So I'm just out in the streets. And I had actually recently met um, this guy named Colin. And um, I forget how old he was, I'm not very 21, I was 16. And um, so I called him up because I didn't know what else to do. And um, they, him, he lived with his mom at this time. He had a daughter who was two years old and um, they let me live there with them. And so that kind of, it was kind of like a forced relationship because I needed a place to stay um, but this is when things finally started to kind of calm down for me a little bit because I had a steady place to lay my head. I had food to eat. You know, I had people that cared about me. I started going back to school. I put myself back in school. I had to go to an alternative school for my junior year in 11th grade. And, um, I remember, um, in my, um, English class, I would be doing these writing prompts and, I always wondered if the teacher was ever going to say anything because like one of them was the best meal I ever ate. And I talk about how the best meal I ever ate was eating after three days of not eating. Um, and it just, I look back and I, I see that stuff and it's just, it's just really sad. You know, like a child shouldn't, shouldn't yearn for food. A child shouldn't be left outside in the cold. You know, I remember being at a bus stop one time and it was so cold and I had nowhere to go. And I was there with my boyfriend at the time. And it was, I'll never forget that. And I think to this day, that's why I hate the cold. I don't know if it just, it reminds me if it triggers me or what it is, but I just, I can't stand being in the cold. I hate it. <laughs> but um, living with Colin proved promising. We were on and off. There were drugs. You know, I was full of there. I mean, how would I have a solid relationship when I'm full of so much, you know, trauma? And so eventually that relationship faded out. But um, there was a point where his mother had temporary custody of me. And that was because uh, there was reports from my, my mother and my father. And when the judge asked me, who do you want to live with? I was like, no one. I don't I don't feel like they're, you know, uh, what did I say? that they weren't able to properly take care of me or something. And I remember my parents' lawyer leaning over and telling me, I think you need to let the judge, you know, decide that. And I'm thinking, I remember being so angry. It took everything in me not to just lash out at him. He was like, you have no idea what my life has been like. So don't you dare, you know, but of course I didn't want to say anything. Um, and I guess something happened and my, my boyfriend, Colin was screaming out to me. He's like, Tiffany, go with your dad, go with your dad. And I was like, fine, I'll go with my dad. And because the judge was getting mad. And he was like, fine, you're going to be a ward of the state. And I got scared. And it was just really traumatic. And um, I don't remember, there was like a social worker lady of some sort. And she stood up on my behalf and said something. So that's why they granted custody to Colin's mother. And so that's why they took care of me. She bought me clothes. You know, she, she took care of me. She was like the mom I didn't have for a while. And then that ended. And come 2000, the year 2000, I was 18. I was finally able to have a job that would pay me a decent wage because I had started working back when I was 14. You could work um, with a working permit uh, that you would pay a dollar for, but those jobs offered um, minimum wage. So I can't really afford to take care of myself with that. So I was bouncing around trying to find jobs. So when I turned 18 and I heard about that job at Sephora, you know, the big, beautiful makeup shop, and I was just so ecstatic to be able to work there. And um, it was great, but I still hadn't let up on the drinking. Um, I ended up getting into meth really heavy. Um, there was a girl that worked there and I remember she used to be really heavy into the meth and she actually acknowledged it and told me, she was like, I, 
you're getting skinny, you need to stop. But I also acknowledge that because I didn't always have food to eat, um, the meth suppresses your, your, your appetite. And a lot of times I didn't have a place to sleep. So when I would hang around these random people and I was doing meth, it keeps you awake. So it kind of, and meth was destroying me inside. You know, it's, it was it definitely wasn't helping me by any means, but it was suppressing my hunger and I didn't have a place to lay my head. So it kept me awake. Um, I ended up getting into a relationship with a really broken, damaged person. And I truly believe that when, that we attract what's inside of us. So it makes sense now that I look back all the trauma, all the, you know, abuse and everything that I had absorbed up until that point, it makes sense why I attracted this person. And again, I still hadn't learned and developed the power of my voice. I did not choose to be in a relationship with this guy. We just hung out one time and he put his arm around me and kissed me and all the guys were watching. And I guess that was his way of marking me as his. And there you go. I was in another relationship. Wasn't a, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I, I didn't realize that I could have been like, yeah, get off me. Like, I, I, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And um, this guy was no good. He was no good for me. Um, drugs, drinking. I eventually became pregnant. And um, I remember being ecstatic. I was happy. I was like, oh, a baby, a baby, a baby, baby, this and that. And then one, one day early in the morning, I, I ended up having pains in my stomach. I, something was wrong. I wake him up. He gets a cab, go to the hospital. And I find out that I am miscarrying. And I took that as a sign that I was not ready to be a mom. I took that as a sign. Like it was like, I, I honestly believed that God was telling me, you're not ready. He's not good for you. Like this whole thing is just wrong. So I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. But the thing is that my boyfriend, um, he forcefully impregnated me three different times. How was he able to do it the second time, let alone the third? I mean, I did try to tell him to get off of me, but he wouldn't because I was trying not to get pregnant. I did not want to get pregnant. That, that scare was enough. But the, the, but he wanted, I don't know why, I don't know if he was to trap me. I don't know if it's because he really liked the idea of having a kid. I don't know whatever it was, but he would force himself on me. I would try to tell him to get off and he wouldn't. And I got pregnant. So I opted for an abortion and I didn't know what an abortion really entailed. But I knew that I knew that what I did know was that they I don't even know what I, I didn't know anything about the size of the baby. I didn't know anything about the procedure. I just knew that if you were pregnant, you could have an abortion and it meant that you were not pregnant anymore. That was pretty much the extent of my knowledge, but it made me sad. It broke my heart because I was opting to, however, the procedure was minus that. But to me, it was like, I'm getting rid of my baby. So that part hurt my feelings. So I opted for them to put me out because I couldn't deal with it. Um, and then he did it to me a second time. All the same thing happened. I opted for an abortion. He did it a third time. A third time I meet him at a gas station to go for him to give me the money for the procedure. And he just stands there and throws it in my face and all the money falls to the floor. And I'm just standing there in this gas station crying because this guy for the third time, you know, it just, and just treat, just treating me like crap. And after that, I told myself no more. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to be more careful. I am going to be more careful. And if I ever get end up pregnant again, I'm going to be the best mother that I can be. So after that, you know, my relationship faded with him. He still tried to come around. I ended up getting into another relationship with another older gentleman. He was much, much older than me. Um, same thing. He would manipulate me. He would have sex with me and, and be forceful about it. Um, that relationship didn't last long, but that did fade. That just kept happening to me more drinking drugs and drama throughout those years. That, that's all it was. And then come 2004 is when I like to say I met who I 
thought was the love of my life. I was head over heels in love with this guy. He was only a couple years older than me. So it, his age fit. He was super sweet. He was good to me. So I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to finally, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a little family and, you know, the white picket fence, like that's all I ever wanted. And I think that that stemmed from my, my whole upbringing. I just wanted that cute little perfect life of my own to be live happily ever after. Um, but we drank a lot. We partied a lot. We would get in fights. I ended up, there was a time where we ended up breaking up and it like tore me up inside, like really bad. Cause I really loved this guy to the point that I just went on binge drinking. I was extremely promiscuous. I would go out drinking and I would not come back until the morning. Um, oh, there were times when I would be drinking so much that I would have to go throw up in the bathroom. I would clean myself up and then I would come back out. Like, it's just, it's crazy to think just how bad I was trying to numb myself. I would take any drug, any drink. It just didn't matter. I was just trying to numb my pain. Um, at some point I ended up going, um, attempting to go to school and it's, it's strange. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what, I guess it was just the motivation. It's like, even though I was a drunk and I was extremely promiscuous, I had no self-worth, no value, no voice, no nothing, but yet some part of me was striving for more. And I had always heard about ITT technical Institute on the radio. So I joined it. And I, that's when I started to for my, um, my associate's degree in computer aided drafting and design. Uh, James was still in my life, this last boyfriend of mine, and um, he wasn't very supportive of my schooling, but I'm glad I didn't listen to him. I continued with it. Um, it was challenging for me. I would show up to some classes drunk. I'd be reeking of alcohol. <laughs> I had, I, there's sometimes I didn't do my homework. Some days I didn't show up. So I was having to retake classes, but I eventually graduated. And then I ended up doing my bachelor's degree. And it's funny because I was, I'm the only one from that class that went on to pursue the bachelor's degree. But it, it's strange when I think about it because I feel like if, any, if anything, I might've been the one that didn't. <laughs> it would be like, I'm the one that wouldn't pursue it, but I did. Um, and so things got a little better. I remember meeting um, who's my husband now but I met him there and I remember acknowledging him, but I was pregnant. I found out that I was pregnant again. And um, as shameful as it is, I didn't right away know who the father was because James would still come into my life every now and then. And there was this other cowboy guy that I was hanging out with. And then there was a new guy that came into my life. And uh, so I wasn't trying to get pregnant, I didn't know I was pregnant, um, never knew the conception date. So I didn't know how to choose who it was. Um, so I was honest, I was truthful to all three of these gentlemen. I told them the truth. Um, the cowboy had, um, he was fixed, like, you know, he had no sperm. So he, you know, sperm count. So I mean, he got tested just to make sure. So he was out. Um, James had said that he wanted to be in a relationship with me, even if the baby wasn't biologically his. And I was lifted to the high heavens. I thought, yay, you know, I was high on life, then crashed down, a drunk, promiscuous, get pregnant. And then it's like, my life is high. It's like a roller coaster. And then I was like, high in the clouds again. So I was like, we're really going to be a family this time. The guy that I love so much and the baby and all this stuff, yay. Well, that didn't happen because when the baby was born, we did like a mail-in swab test and found out the baby wasn't his. And he said that that hurt him too much and he couldn't go through with it. So then my heart was shattered all over again. <laughs> it's like, I just can't catch a break. But so I was a single mom working two jobs, going to school. And it was a challenge, but I did it. Um, I would have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to get ready to get for school, to go drop my baby off to, for, to a friend to um, watch him while I went to work and then um, going to my other job. And then I would have to pick up the baby, 
from there to take him to my mom's house because my mom had settled down by this point and was living with um, a guy in a house and she was like more homely and um, she was always good with babies. So I trusted her there with um, to take care of my baby. Um, so, so he would stay the night over there because I would have to drive way back across town to go to school at night. And then I would go home and sleep and then the baby would be there. So it was like, this is what I had to do. Um, and I, that's when I met my husband and I was pregnant and um, I was attracted to him, but I was trying to, you know, make smarter choices, be faithful. I was going to start this family and everything. So I was behaving. <laughs> um, but ever since, you know, everything fell out with James, um, Jaime and I started talking more. Like he was my sounding board. I shared with him all the stuff that happened to me. And um, being a single mom, I was on WIC. I was on food stamps. Um, I was penny pinching. Um, it got to the point I ended up being on un unemployment, collecting unemployment. And um, uh, my, I can't come home with my baby and my power's off. So I, I called Jaime and I told him and he told me to come to the house. So I did. Me and Ashton, that's my son's name, Ashton. We stayed there at the house. And um, that morning he left me a hundred dollar bill on the nightstand to turn my power back on. And I remember that feeling, I was just taken aback at his generosity because if you, you know, my life experience, it's just, it was just strange that he was being so helpful. I mean, he even took me to the store at one point and told me, you know, put whatever you need in the cart and he was just gonna pay for it. And I was too prideful. So I just put, you know, wipes, pampers, and formula in the cart for my son. Because back then I didn't know the benefits of breastfeeding. I didn't understand any of that stuff. So I just did what, you know, what was widely taught, I guess you could say. Um, so that's, that's what happened then. We ended up getting, and, and, and here's the thing, like I was saying before, when you're broken or having suppressed emotions, you attract and I thought, I was like, well, this guy's in school. I got, I hit the jackpot. Somebody who's educated, who cares about their future. You know, he has a job. I was like, wow, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> I didn't know how to identify red flags. Because if I did, I would have realized that he was just as broken as I was, if not worse. I did not know that. He didn't know that. But we became an instant family. We would hang out. He would start telling, you know, people that Ashton was his son. And I thought it was the sweetest thing. He was willing and wanting to be a father to my baby. And so, you know, um, I allowed myself to get close to him. We became a family. The thing is, is that we were drinking, we were doing drugs, we were fighting a lot, like really, really bad, ugly fights. It was just toxic it never should have been like we should not have been together in a relationship both of us required a ton of healing before we got into a relationship but he nor i had never learned that so our lives had been that way for however long um come 2015 i end up getting pregnant with my second baby okay thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at smitha guntori and the show notes for any resources mentioned see you next week take care